Hi there, I'm Maddie and I serve on the Joy Production team. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Through taking the time to listen to this message, we pray you'll not only come to know more about God, but you'll come to know more about yourself as well. Once again, thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy today's message. Last week, Pastor Brian started off this series on Seize the Day, and, uh, and, and we're really basing it's the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross leading up to, uh, to Palm Sunday, and he started off with this in Ephesians 5 from the Passion Translation. It says, so be very careful how you live, not being like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom, for we are living in evil times. You agree with that? All right, now look at what it says here. It says, take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. And uh, you, know, you might say, well, how do I seize the day if the days are evil? How do I go about doing that? How, are we gonna, how am I going to seize my day and make it work for his glory and for the plans that he has? Well, got good news for you. He gave us the second part, and it came out of Hebrews, and it says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. In the same race. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside of God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. That's a good word for us any time, any day, I guarantee you. So what we see here, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus no matter what we're going through. And, and, and not only that, but we've got to keep our eyes on, on Jesus for helping someone else and what they're going through and the days that they're in, too, to seize the day. You know, how, how could he always do that? How was he able to do that? Because he knew the word of God. It was inside of him. Not just because he was God, but he would speak God's word just like we have the opportunity to speak God's word too. Luke 6, 27, 28 says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. And this came about when we're talking about forgiveness. First thing we've got to do is we've got to forgive right out of the box. That's not an option. That's something we have to do. It's commanded for us to forgive. And you might say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, let me tell you this. God will never ask us to do anything that we can't do. Now, it might be difficult. It might be challenging. But he wouldn't ask us to do it if it wasn't possible. And so if we realize today in, in our forgiveness mode, we love our enemies, do good to those that hate us, bless those who curse us, and pray for those who hurt us, guess what's going to happen? We're going to generate down inside of us that power that's working that never stops working, whether we're awake or whether we're asleep or what. The Bible says Jesus is all the while at work in us, effectually at work in us. That means something good's going to come out of whatever we do for his glory. You know, and, and Jesus really, when you think about it, he had to look beyond his pain and his humanity to accomplish what he did on that cross. Uh, we've been doing the Lee Strobel classes, uh, some of us in some of our small groups. I hope that's something that we'll, we'll continue on to some capacity, you know, maybe throughout the year, maybe even next year. But, uh, but in that, uh, Lee Strobel was studying, trying to, 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 to prove the Bible wrong, to prove Christ was not who he said he was. And, but the more he studied, the more he found out things about it. And, and he interviewed this one doctor, uh, 
Dr. W uh, Metherill, and this doctor was very knowledgeable, and he, he knew things about the human body. And you remember when in, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was actually praying before, he ever, before they were taken captive, and it talks about that he sweated drops of blood. You know what that doctor said? That with anxiety, it can get so intense that particles of blood will mix with our sweat. And so that was very true. And he, he showed him things like that. He talked about how that, that whenever they would, would take somebody and scourge them, that they literally would whip them. At times, their very bones would be exposed. Part of their spine would be exposed because of the intensity of the whipping. In fact, a lot of people never lived through it. They died. They died when they were being scourged. But Jesus lived through it. And then he talked about how that the nails that they put in, five to seven-inch nails that they took and, and put in his wrist there uh, when they put him on the cross and, and the pain of what that would be and the nails through his feet. And they said literally the only way that, that he could keep breathing would be if he kind of push up with his feet with them nailed together. And eventually it would work its way till it, it's rubbing against the bones in his feet, intense pain. And eventually he would die asphyxiation. Because he couldn't, he wouldn't have the strength of the weak because of the blood loss and the pain that they had endured. And, and, and sometimes we don't realize that what Jesus actually truly went through for our benefit, for our good. And, and, and when you think about it, you know, I, I was thinking about myself, you know, about six inches from my elbow and my arm, uh, there's, a, there's a place where when I was a child, we, we constantly run around, you know, barefoot and down in the south there where I lived, and there'd be nails around. There's nothing to step on a nail in the summer and hobble around for a week or so while you're getting it healed up. But uh, there was a shed. My grandpa had a woodshed, and, and on the shed there was nails and things that were sticking up out. And, uh, and somehow, I don't know what we were doing that day, stupid as we were, we got up on that tin woodshed, and uh, we started to get down, and I always hated heights. I, I dreaded getting down on heights, and I'd be very careful. But when I started to get down, somehow I slid my arm into one of those nails, a bent nail. And I mean, I was trying to get loose. At first, when it hit, I didn't feel the pain, so I'm jerking on it and uh, just tearing the flesh up in my arm. Now, now, it used to look like a bullet hole in my arm back there. I could have told a lot of lies about that if I wanted to, but I chose not to. But, uh, but what I did have, you know, uh, I did have a spot that looked like about a bullet hole. And uh, whenever they, when they, to get off that thing, let me tell you what happened. Though. I'm hanging on that nail, struggling. My cousin is seeing it. He's about to pass out. He goes screaming for my grandma. And my grandmother came out there. She hoisted me up. How she did that, I don't know. I was about the second grade, and I was a, I was a heavyweight. And, but she got me up off that nail, and they got me to the hospital. And they, she was pushing all the stuff back in my arm. And they thought I wouldn't mind it, even be able to use this right arm. But can I use it? I praise the Lord with it. Hallelujah. They, 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 they did it for me. Now, now, you still see it somewhat, but not as much as you could. You know, as you get older, your skin starts, well, you know, it's, not as, it's a little more flexible than it used to be. <laughs> but anyhow. So don't ask me to see it. I'm not showing it to you. I got other scars I won't show to you too as well. But now listen, listen. But you know, in going through all that, when that was happening to me, I was not thinking about anybody but me. There wasn't another person on this planet. I wasn't thinking about the doctor. I wasn't thinking about my grandma. I wasn't thinking about my cousin who spotted it. It's probably passed out still laying there on the ground. But I wasn't thinking about anybody but Tim at that point. Why? Because I was the one going through the pain. I was the one having to lay there and be stitched up. But I want you to see something. When Jesus did what he did, he didn't only think about himself. He was thinking about the entire world. And he's going to get real specific in a moment with one individual. We're going to see that in just a little bit. But i got to keep rolling. All right. Isaiah 53, uh, 12 says this. Therefore, I'll give him the honor, speaking of Jesus, I will give him the honor of one who is mighty and great because he has poured out his soul unto death. He was counted as a sinner, and he bore the sins of many, and he pled with God for the sinners. So... 
We're going to recognize if, if we're going to seize our day, we're going to go through some struggles. Jesus went through struggles. We're going to go through struggles. That's just the way it works. But we also have to remember, too, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, that what he did, he did for the love of the world. And some of the struggles we're going to go through is going to be for the love of others. That's just the way the plan works. It's the way it's going to happen. And, and, and if you remember, too, it wasn't just the pain that was on that cross. It was the love that was on that cross. It was love. It's for love he did what he did. St. Augustine, some people say St. Augustine, however you want to say it. Uh, he was an early Christian theologian. He said this, but what does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and the needy. It has the eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. This is what love looks like. I think that's a good description. How about you? Very good description. Well, let's take a look here at the story. Let's go back and do just what we said. Let's study and look here at, at, at what took place there. And we're going to pick it up on Luke chapter 23. And it says, There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. Speaking of Jesus going to the cross. And it says, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one of the, on the right hand and one on the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers of them sneered with them, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, vinegar, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of the Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeedly justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then we see Jesus there in verse 43. He comes back and he tells him, Assuredly, which means truthfully, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And that's a very powerful principle we see there. Because why, why do I look at that? Because others are experiencing the same struggles that we're experiencing. We're going through the same things. They're going through the same things. And all these, all, when you look at this thing and think about it for just a minute, they're all three in the same position. They're stretched out on this Roman cross. They're all there. Jesus has done nothing, and the two who have, and they're all in the same position. We're going to find people in our lives that are in the same position we've been in at some point, or we'll be able to help them, or maybe they're in a position we're going through that can help us. It's how we all work together. That's the way that God's plan is set up in the earth. You know, it's, I thought it was funny, too, and well not funny, but in John 19, uh, the, those Jewish leaders, when they said, you know, the king of the Jews was on the sign there, this is the king of the Jews, uh, they, they wanted him to change it. They wanted him to change it. It says, he has said he's the king of the Jews. And uh, Pilate was so messed up at this point, <laughs> he was wrung out. He said, what I've written, I've written. I'm not changing anything. It's going to stay as it is. But, uh, but anyhow, let's get on. Why do we help others? Why do we help others? Because it distracts us from our own needs. It distracts us from our own needs. It, it says in Matthew 5.18 to make your light shine. Some, some, some translations say let your light shine. I like this one better because it says make your light shine. Sometimes you just got to make your light shine. It's not a matter of letting it shine. you got to make it shine. So that others will see the good that you do and will praise your Father in heaven. That's more than talking Christianese. That's living the lifestyle. That's coming before the Lord and, and, and living for him and, and coming before others and living for him before them where they can see uh, the life that a Christian is supposed to be, our habits and our lifestyles and things. That means we have to watch some of the things we do. We have to watch some of the things we say, and we sure enough have to watch some of the things we think about. 
because we want to do what God wants us to do. We have to uh, control those things. You know, some years ago, it's been a long time ago, so don't try to figure out who it is. It's not anybody here at Joy today. Uh, but there was a man who attended Joy Christian Center here, and I got a call one, one morning uh, from what used to be Motel 6. I think it's a different name now over there in Wake Park. And they said, we got a guy here that's, that's drunk. You know, you got to come do something. We'll call the police. And he, he gave us your name. And I said, okay. And so I got in the car and went over there. And sure enough, it's one of, the, one of the brothers from here at church. And he was messed up. I mean, he was, he was, he was intoxicated. And, you know, he smelled. And it just, just a, you know, just in a bad way. And so uh, I, I, I took charge of the situation, got him out of there, and got him in my car. And we got down to Lake George. And as we're driving along, he was, he was telling me a few things. And, and I could hear the hurt in him. He was hurting so bad. And so I pulled in down there at Lake George, and we actually got out, sat there, sat there on the grass under, underneath one of the trees, and we just started talking. And, you know, by the time he, that, that, that we finished talking, we were there probably two hours before he got completely you know, sobered up good. And as we're sitting there, he, he began to share things, and, and, and I could see some of the things he was saying and what he was going through, some of the hurts and some of the same things I'd had in my life at different points and whatnot. And so I was able to tell him how I overcame and how I got through those things. You know what? Uh, we, we got back, and, and as, a, as representative Joy Christian Center, we helped him get into a program down in the city. And I was able to get there and watch him graduate. And to my knowledge, he's still living for the Lord today. He went through that thing. But see, now I could have went there and said, you crazy. Now, why are you getting drunk for it? I could have ripped into him and done things like that. What are you letting this stuff have the best of you? No, that's not the Christian way. You have to work with people the way God shows you to work with them. In that moment, that man needed somebody just to lock arms with him. The clothes could be washed. I could put on some cologne if I wanted to. Dude, I could deal with all the stinky later. But right now, he needs somebody just to love on him. And as a result of that, he made progression in his life. So, so that's important. When, they, when this criminal was looking at Jesus, he was saying, he cried out to Jesus, didn't he? He said, remember me. He was crying from his heart when he said that. It wasn't just the words of his mouth. He was a man in desperation here. He'd lost it. I mean, it's all done. I mean, he, in, in just a matter of time, he was, he was, he was out of there. He was going to leave this earth. There was a, a Roman philosopher by the name of Seneca, and he said that it would get so vile around those crosses. People would be cursing and swearing. People maybe they'd stolen from or they'd done something or maybe they'd murdered or raped somebody, and people would come just to cheer and, and jeer people on and curse and swear and, and yell them. Cicero said it got so bad at times that they literally would get up on that cross and cut the man's tongue out to sh shut him up from swearing back. The blasphemy would get so bad against God. They'd be cursing their own mother from the cross. And, and things like that. So that, this place that he was in right now is a very bad, bad situation that, that he was going through. We, we, we want to tend to think that that cross was something that, that he just, Jesus is just hanging up on there. And there's three of them hanging there. All the pictures we see with the three. And they're hanging on these crosses. Not, you know, look at this nice smooth cross we got over here uh, to my left. You see that cross over there? That cross didn't look like that. That was rough hewn stuff. They took the raw parts of the body, having them hanging on that thing in extreme pain. And, and, and there, uh, he was one of them that was hanging there. And if they didn't die in time, they'd bring sticks, a big old stick thing around and break their legs where they'd fall down where they couldn't lift their body up anymore. And, and that's how they would, would suffocate to death there, asphyxiated. But in the midst of this, this man's crying out. And in the midst of what Jesus had gone through, worse than them, they weren't beaten like him and put up there. He was the only one gone through that. He still heard and he still, still looked at them. After he'd said, forgive the ones around the cross, cursing, swearing, and all the stuff that was going on, he had time to look at this man and tell him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He took time in the final moments of his life to do something for God. You see, too, why do we help others? Because it helps us see the solution. Sometimes we, we see more clearly uh, 
when, when we're looking at somebody else's situation, like I did with that guy I picked up at the motel, I could see things in my own life as a result of being with him. It, it clears you. You know, you might say, what are you talking about? Would be like if, it'd be like if you went to the car lot and you're going to buy a car, but instead of looking at the type vehicle you got, you're just walking around looking at all the colors. I say, I like this color. I like this. All you're concerned about is the color. You're not even thinking about the vehicle that you need. You're just looking at the color. And, and, and sometimes it's that way for us. You know, we, 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 we don't see things as clearly until, we, until we're doing something to help somebody else. Another way of looking at it, too, maybe you've lost something before, and you're going to find that. In the midst of finding that, you, you, you find something that you, you'd lost even before then. Oh, I wonder where that got to, too. And you find out something else, too. It's that way when helping others. One thing leads to the next thing uh, if we allow God to work with us. You know, Psalm 121, 2 says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where our ultimate help comes from. We don't have what we need apart from him bringing it and putting it inside of us. I like what this, uh, there was a psychologist, a psychiatrist actually, his name was Dr. Carl Menninger, and uh, he was doing a lecture, and then after the lecture, uh, somebody brought the question to him. They said, what advice, uh, what would you advise someone to do if he felt a nervous breakdown was coming on? And they thought maybe this uh, psychiatrist was going to say, well, go find, go, you know, if you can't get to me, find another psychiatrist. But that's what he said. Listen to what he told him. He says, lock up your house. Go across the railroad tracks, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. Why? Because it gets your focus off yourself and gets your focus on someone else. That's what he was saying. It helps you to help others. Look at that person beside of you and say, hey, it helps you to help others. It does. That's a fact in it. It allows us also, another thing it does, it allows us to put things in perspective. To put things in perspective. I, I, I saw this story about this pastor, and it said, well, actually, it was a little dilly they had about this pastor. And it said he got up in the, in the pulpit, and he had a Band-Aid on his face, and he apologized. He said, look, I want to apologize for this Band-Aid on my face. He said, this morning I was thinking about my sermon, and I, and I pulled my razor across there and, and, and cut my face. Well, after everything was over, they took the offering up and everything, and they started going through the offering. There was a note in the offering that says, next time, <coughs> think about your face and cut the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, uh, at least his focus got changed, didn't it? Something changed for him. You know, we, 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 uh, we, you know, we use that idiom sometimes, you can't see the forest for the trees, and, and that really does happen. You know, we get too close to ourselves sometimes, and it does us good to go out and help other people and be out and, 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 and get out uh, beyond the walls that, that we're used to. Uh, Proverbs 15, 15 says this, it says, all the days of the desponding and afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings. But he who has a glad heart has a continual feast, regardless of the circumstances. And, and, and there's times where we just don't feel like it. You know, we just, we just think, man, I just I don't know if I can do this. I used to always hate tug-of-war at school when we'd have that at recess. I despise tug-of-war. The only thing I hate worse than that was where we had to run. <laughs> no, 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 I don't like to run. Was that what Fat Albert used to say? But uh, hey, hey, hey. But anyhow, I didn't like to run, but now we'd have recess. And, you know, being the heavyweight, you know, they're going to plant you on the back like you're supposed to be some telephone pole stuck back there somewhere <laughs> that they can move everybody, but they won't get him, you know. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, oh, man, I just, you know, it's always, I, I, when they give tug of war, we tug of war, they get rope out. I start walking to the back. <laughs> All right. I know where I'm going to be, right here on the back, holding on to this thing, whatever. Sometimes I just lay down, wrap it around my waist and just lay there. I thought, by George, drag me sideways, you know. <coughs> At least make it hard for them. No wonder I had so many grass stains in my clothes. But anyhow, <coughs> but, but, you know, 
it's easy when we think about that. People are going through situations. They're, they're, they're going through divorces or, or, they're, or they're going through challenges with their children. Or there's any number of things, finances, all kinds of things they're dealing with. And they need somebody just to give them an encouraging word. They need somebody to be there. They need somebody that can necessarily hang on to the end of the rope, whatever it takes. I like what Ari Torrey, he's a pastor and author, and he said this. He said, it's not a question of when we feel, um, excuse me, of what we feel, but what God says. God's word is always to be believed. Our own feelings are oftentimes to be doubted. Now, that's the real deal right there. There's sometimes we can't go by our feelings. We get led by our feelings. We'll get in trouble. we got to go by what the Word of God says. And, and Jesus knew when he told that criminal there, when he said, when, when Jesus was seizing that day, for that man to be able to seize his day, he told him, you will be. That was guaranteed. We have that same guarantee in Christ. We will be with him someday if we'll allow him to come into our heart. And it was just as real for him. Uh, there's, there's time, if you woke up in the morning, you just didn't want to get up, and you thought, man, you gotta, they, they talk about dragging out of bed. I've heard of people rolling out of bed, falling out of bed just to get themselves or put their alarm clock on the other side of the room uh, where they'll wake them up and whatnot. I like what Smith Wigglesworth said. He says, I don't ask my body how it feels. I tell my body how it feels. And I like that. I like that a lot. He was a British evangelist. And there's been times when I do that. Maybe I've had a, a long, long night and, and got to get up early. And I'm laying there in the bed and I said, you know, body, get up. Sometimes I tell my body three or four times to get up. It's not listening. Sometimes I reach over and slap it. Get up, body. Eventually I'll get up. And I slap it with the arm that got the nail in it, too, by the way, just, right <laughs> just, just, just in case you're wondering. All right, let's get back into the Word here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 7, it says, All praise to the God and Father of our Master Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside of someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Let that resonate. Don't you dare let that one slip out your hand. Just as he did for us, we do for others. Now, let's go on with it. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more, no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that, too. When we suffer for Jesus, it works out for your healing and salvation. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church. If we are treated well, given a helping hand and encouraging word, that also works to your benefit, spurring you on. Face forward, unflinching. Your hard times are also our hard times. When we see that you're just as willing to endure the hard times as to enjoy the good times, we know you're going to make it, no doubt about it. He's trying to get them to understand that. We help each other. We're there. We can't fully seize our day, I don't believe, if we're not helping somebody in some way. I really don't. I, I think to fully seize our day, we need to be a helper. Now, maybe it's helping your wife, or, or maybe it's helping one of your children or a co-worker. And I, I, I look for opportunities to, to be a blessing to people. I do. I'm not just making that up because I got this, this message today. That's the honest truth. You can ask anybody that really knows me up close, they'll tell you, I like to help people. It helps me to help people. In my worst times in life, and, and things I was going through, I would always, I'd, I'd, I'd go to God and ask him, you know, uh, God, what do I do in this situation? How, how, how can I make it happen? I remember one time I was so sick, I was asking God just either, either get me healed up or take me home. And that was, that was many years ago. But I had a wife and child, and I shouldn't have been thinking that way, but I was. Things were just going wrong. It's like everything could go wrong, go wrong. The vehicles, the sickness, all these things were piling in on me. And I was just driving, and I said, Lord, I said, I just can't take anymore. I said, I, I came in to serve you and, and to be here for you, but e either get me straightened out here or bring me home. I'm sick. I can't take it anymore. That was almost like the nervous breakdown thing. And you know what God did? He gave me four words. I have a plan. 
four words. But those four words were enough to lift me up. And you know what he did? He moved me into a whole new situation, different working with different people and, and the job and everything, got my body healed up, and he brought me on. He had people there for my life at the time I needed it most. And I believe if you're there for somebody else's life, he'll have it there for your life when you're, time, when you're going through a, a, a desperate time like that. Have you ever heard of this? It's called Helper's Hive. Helper's Hive. And it's a true thing. These scientists have studied this and doctors have studied this, and, and they found out that, that helping other people creates a sense of happiness in us. In fact, they did a study a little bit deeper, and they found out that, that human brains are hardwired. We're hardwired for sympathy and empathy and generosity. That's something we don't have to look for. It's in there. All we got to do is not suppress it and stop it from activating. And when we do that, it's almost like a, it releases endorphins in us. It makes us feel good on the inside. I'll never forget, I, I saw this uh, thing years ago. It was down in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, where we were living. And, and they did this documentary about some of the people that lived on the streets. They took the cameras out and went on the streets with them. And uh, as they're out there interviewing different people, you know, some of them were kind of squirrely in the things they said, but one, th one of the guys that, that really stood out in my mind was they interviewed this guy, and they said that we noticed that you're down here, you're one of the ones that are down here more regular, you're down here, you know, every, every work day of the week, and he says, yeah, he said, I kind of look at this as my job, and they begin to interview, what do you mean you look at this as your job? He said, well, he said, it, it, it's like this, he says, I'm down here, and, and, and I'm, I'm begging, but, but I'm doing people a favor, and they said, what do you mean doing for He said, well, he said, as I'm standing here begging, they'll come by and they'll give me some money and maybe they got a cup of coffee that they'll be drinking as they walk by and they'll take their change and give it to me. And, uh, and, and they said, it said, doing that makes them feel good. And they said, well, I mean, do you have a place to live? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, I live with my daughter. He said, we, we live good. He said, there's no problem there. He said, I got a home. This is an older guy now. I mean, he looked like he was maybe in his late 70s. You know, they probably found him dead on the street down there sometime. I don't know. But, uh, but he said that's what he did. He said, I do this. He said, I don't need this money. He said, I, I'm okay. I live with my daughter. Things are good. He said, but I do this because it makes other people feel good. Now, isn't that interesting? So some of those people going by there, and they're getting a helper's high to somebody. <laughs> I don't know about that one. But that's what they did. That's it. That's what they did. But anyhow, <clears throat> when we think about this, what kind of help can we offer? Let's get down to it. What kind of help can we offer? One of the things is we can offer stability for others. And, and it comes from the Word. Listen to what it says and out of uh, Matthew 7. He said, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, they are like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Now, we're talking about hearing and doing here. We're talking about obedience to faith, about putting God's word into practice. But when you, when you look at here, the, the, when this was written, the time it was written in, in the Greek writing, it was talking about very vivid things happening. That's why the word we see the word here in message, tornado. It was talking about something that, that's destructive in a, in, a, in a magnitude of ways, in, in, in multiplied ways, in a magnitude of, uh, of, of effect. And that's what it's talking about, something that comes in. And really what it's talking about, this is talking about for us as believers, it's, it's symbolizing the fact that when the enemy comes at us in a big way, in a big way, that's why we say that, you know, we gather our groups around, we pray for one another. The thing that's going to be happening tomorrow night for you that didn't get your, didn't get your prayer in with Pastor Brian, the things you're believing for, you need to be in here tomorrow night. Don't miss out on that. Bring your card and come in here. Some have already called wanting to know, I missed it. What can I do? Come on Monday night, tomorrow night. Bring your card with you and you have an opportunity to be praying. Why? Because you're going to be, have people agreeing and believing with you. We're sitting in our seat praying, even as Pastor Brian is praying directly in your situation now. 
So that's what we do. We help one another. Now, now that, and that's the stability because he's praying God's word over you. That's stability right there and, and believing with you. Another thing we can do, we can offer support. We offer support. Ecclesiastes says, an enemy might be able to defeat one person, but two people can stand back to back to defend each other. And three people are even stronger. They're like a rope that has three parts wrapped together. It's very hard to break. That's why we have support groups around here. And you say, support groups? Yeah, we call them circles. I don't care if you're in a game group, throwing a, a beanbag, or if you're in one where you're studying a word in a specific way, it's still a support group. They're all support groups because we support one another. We're doing things together that we like to do together, that we enjoy doing together. And, and, and you get to meet people. I, I declare, I don't know how some people live on this earth, you know. They just, they just get in this four no more, you know. They stay inside the walls of their little home and, and don't branch out and help anybody much. Or maybe they'll stretch out, maybe they'll help the guy who lives beside of them or something like that. But they won't do anything that reaches out beyond the walls. I'm telling you right now, when you go on a mission trip or you do something of that magnitude, you see everything in a whole different light. You see places and go, and go places and get into some of the muck and the mire. I used to work with a, a group called Helping Hands uh, it was a, that we did children's programs and the projects uh, there in Oklahoma. And, and we'd see things. I saw things in there that with those kids on went out one day. As I'm driving in, a little boy running over there picking up a cigarette. He's picking up a cigarette, puffing on that cigarette. I stopped my car and pulled that Boy, what you doing? Can't be doing that. No, I can't. Nobody's doing it. They threw it away. I said, yeah, it's going to throw you away if you keep doing it because it'll kill you. I said, put that thing down. Made him put that light out. No, little boy, uh, we, we would give out these little cinnamon rolls and things, you know, at the meetings. And, and one little boy came back one night, and he was in his nose running, his eyes running, crying, bawling. I said, what's the matter with you, boy? He said, uh, he said those boys, those big boys, they, he, he took my roll, and he ate it. I said, well, then don't go down there anymore. Stay up here with me. I gave him another one. He sat there and sat there and ate it. Before long, he had three or four or five of his friends doing the same thing. They were all getting beat up by other kids down there, taking their little old cinnamon roll away from them. But you see, if you don't ever get out in anything, you're not going to see it. Jesus went to the highways and the byways and to the hedges, and he went places like that. He called the body of Christ to do that, not to come in and just sit here on Sunday morning, shine, 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 have a little fun, and then, and, then, and, then, and then go home and not for the rest of the week. He wants us to be about the Father's business every single day, whether it's on the job or off the job, whether we're retired, semi-retired, or working in the workforce or going to school. There's a place for everybody to do something for God, helping others. It makes a difference in Jesus' worst time. Looking at that man, today you're going to be with him in paradise. I know you've got to know people that you want to be with you in paradise. I know there's somebody out there that you know that needs Jesus. Spend a little more time with them. And not just to criticize or critique them. I'm talking about love on them. Just get out there and help them. Do something they see that needs to be done. And it'll make a difference in their life. Relationship building. Relationship building. It goes beyond the four walls of our house. All right, so we can offer support. Getting a little bit excited here this morning. You got a water bottle, throw one some my way. Cool me down a little bit. All right, <clears throat> but it does make a difference, folks. I'm so, I'm, I'm so serious about this this morning. Another thing we can do is offer salvation. You might say, well, what do you mean offer salvation? We can't save anybody. Yeah, but we can tell others about salvation. We can witness to others about what God is doing. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, God has made a great many promises. They are all yes because of what God has done. So through Christ, we can say amen. We want to receive, we want God to receive the glory for it. And I think about that, you know, 
you, you hear people, you know, they, man, they saved my finances. They saved my marriage. They did, the, you know, different. I, I, I tell you what happened. Uh, when I was a kid, I don't remember, I must have been maybe about 10 years old, 11. Anyhow, I went to the YMCA, and they had these programs there. It's called the Fish Club that you go through. And they had like, you know, a manna when you're just getting in the water and standing there like this. You got somebody teaching you, coaching you, one of the lifeguards. And then from there, they got something to where uh, you'd begin to, you know, they get you where you get in there and dog paddle and begin to swim a little bit. And then you go, that'd be the fish, that fish part right there. It'd be some men of the fish. Then you go to flying fish. That's when you're jumping in, you're diving in, and you're beginning to swim. They even had a shark club that you could go to. And uh, so anyhow, I'd been, uh, I'd been in these classes. My grandfather's, his theory on swimming was totally different. I mean, he'd just take us down to the pond where the cows came in and out. Jump in, boys. You know, as long as nobody was bubbling, we were all good. And, uh, <clears throat> but uh, Grandma decided, you know, we, we needed more than that. We needed to go to the YMCA and learn how to properly do the strokes and swim on our back and, you know, go under the water, all this kind of stuff. You don't want to go under the water where the cows go in. I can tell you that right now. <clears throat> come, when we come out of that thing, we'd have leeches stuck all to us. Our grandfather would be getting leeches off of us. He'd turn around, let me see. And look back. Yeah, you got some back here too. Get them off our back. But uh, <clears throat> but anyhow, so I'm at the, I, I, I'm going through the YMCA and going through this this program that they have there, and uh, and I'd go over there other times too after school because it was right across from where you go to school. Well, so I'd go into YMCA. Well, I had this neighbor. He lived about a mile from me. Little guy, just a, he was same age as me in the same class as I was in, but he was just a small fella, and uh, so uh, he uh, he didn't know how to swim. You know, but he, he had, you, you ever seen people that you, you like to buy them for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth when, when it comes to things? Uh, as far as their skill set, that's kind of what he was with swimming. Uh, he didn't have any skills swimming. I mean, he'd get in the water. He'd get in on up there where you walk in, like where the kitty area was, and then he'd just kind of dog paddle around a little bit, splash water. I don't know what got into his head this day, but for some reason, you're talking about season today. <coughs> He, he goes down, he goes walking down to the end of the deep end of the pool, and I'm looking over there at him, I'm in the water, you know, swimming around, all of a sudden, I mean, just, just like he had a spring in his feet, whoop, hops right over the deep end of the pool, and I, th and he, and I mean, he was, you know, a couple yards out there when he jumped in, because he, he leaped out kind of as he jumped, and I'm looking at him, help, help, he's over screaming with the lifeguards down on the other end working with some people, it's so noisy in there, I don't know if he could have even heard him, and so he was working with another kid on the other end, and so I went over to get him. I started swimming. I swam over there. I was going to grab him. His name was Randy. And uh, so the minute I get close to Randy, man, I mean, he locked on me like I was the love of his life. I mean, he just surrounded me, wrapped in his arms, legs, hands, everything. He, I mean, he's just all over me, you know. He, in fact, his head was higher than mine, and he was about this much shorter than me. And I'm looking just thinking, good Lord. And, and I'm thinking to myself, now they trained us. If you ever get in the water and, and another kid grabs you, just go under, and they'll turn loose because it scares them. They think they're going to drown for sure then. And so I remember that, and so down I went. I was like a bobber with a weight on it. I just whoop right underneath the water there. I, I could float pretty good in my size, but I went on down. And sure enough, he turned loose on me. And then I had to help him get back to the, back to the side there. And so I just kind of kept my foot up and kind of kicked him back till I could get him back to the side. Well, from then on, when I see him, you remember the day you saved my life? <laughs> I thought he's like one of those guys, well, I'm going to have the rest of my life. You can come around and tell me, I saved your life. <clears throat> I don't know. But anyhow, we do. We help people. We do help people. And, and we want to, but we don't save them. Jesus saves them. All we do is present the salvation message. That's what we do. How do you do it? You do it by telling them about the way you received 
the Lord. And about somebody else you knew. If you know their personality and how they received, use some other stories to be able to help them. And you'll be able to help them understand it. So we can offer salvation to them as well. And all these things we're talking about today is on the benefit of others. When Jesus told him, he said, he said there in verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be in paradise. When he's looking over at him, he's not talking about just that moment. He's talking about everlasting. He's taking him not, not, not just to, to a, you know, just for a better now to make him feel better on that cross. He's taking him to a better place in the future. And that's what he's talking about. We hear the word paradise, you know, and, uh, and, and we think about maybe a resort or something, maybe a nice place on the beach or something like that. But, but really, uh, the Persian word that was used there, they were talking about like a king's garden, something that was immaculate, where the king would be. It was more than just the fact of being a nice place to exist or be around. It was talking about a place where the king was, at king's park, a king's ground, uh, a king's place. That's what it's talking about. And we know, too, that the Bible tells us that, that, uh, that he's preparing a place for us, each and every one of us. He told the disciples that. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's telling us that today. He's going to prepare a place for you. And you say, well, what are you, what are you trying to bring out of this today? I'm trying to get you to understand. Season the day. Today, we're with him in paradise. We want others to be in paradise, too. We're already seated together with him in heavenly places. If we've asked Christ Jesus into our heart, it's a done deal. But there's so many out there that don't have it. Back when, uh, back when the World Trade Center was, was hit, uh, back in September 11th, there was a lady there. She's been on different shows and, and, and things on TV, but uh, her name's Janelle Guzman. Well, right before that happened, she was, uh, started attending a church uh, there in Brooklyn Tabernacle. And... Uh, she was up on like the 64th floor when that thing began to fall, and she was trapped under there. She was one of the last four people alive to come out of that thing. And if you read her story and see, she was pinned down. She couldn't get out, and she was there for about 26 hours, and she was in and out of the state of consciousness. And, and, but, but when she'd wake up, you know, she, she was praying there that God would help her. Well, sure enough, finally, about uh, I guess it was maybe the, the noon on that day that uh, some of the guys got there to her some of the responders, and they were shining a light, and they could hear her. They could hear her screaming, help, help, you know, help me. She could hear something happen and hear something, but she couldn't tell. And so they begin to shine a light, and they shine this light and, it, and, and trying to reach her and find out where she's at, and they said, do you see the light? And she says, no, no, I can't see the light. And so she reached down and felt a piece of concrete and could get her hand on her. She started tapping, and she just kept tapping and tapping and tapping until they were able to come in and rescue her and get her out of there. They saved her life that day, one of the last four to come out of that thing. And I thought, you know, so many times there are people that are walking around. We, we don't hear it, but there's a tapping going on. They're looking for help. They're looking for someone to come in and reach them, to help them, to bring them to that place of safety and love. Guess what? You are the first responders. You are the mission. In so many cases and so many times, you are the one that will bring them to that place of safety and get them the help they need. So I want to encourage you today. Uh, first of all, just, if you, just a moment, if you bow your head and close your eyes. If you're sitting here right now 
and, and you've never asked Christ to come in your heart. We do, this, we do this a lot at Joy Christian Center. We give opportunities for people to receive Christ. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your Savior, the first person that needs that help is you. So if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come in your heart, would you be so honest as just to raise your hand up and say, that's me. I need him in my life. I need to have Jesus in here. Because from that, he's going he's gonna to use you mightily in the days to come to help others. Anybody like that? Raise it up high if there's anybody in here that needs to ask Jesus to come into your heart today. We always like to have that opportunity. Well, I'm not going to ask anybody any, anything other than today that if you know somebody, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this, but if you know somebody that maybe it's crossed your mind, should you say something to them? You ask God when you go home today tomorrow when you see them again maybe it's this week maybe it's another week you ask God say God how can I be one of those how can I seize my day how can I help them to seize their day show me the way that you would have me to speak to them Lord help me touch their hearts and you know what I, I just I, I almost dare you to do it because I know what's going to happen God's going to use you in ways you've never seen before. I've seen this happen so many times where you tell somebody something and they come back rejoicing and they say, you know what? I, 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 I went out and I talked to somebody about Jesus and they came to the Lord. And it'll change your life. And I promise you, you will get as much out of that conversation as they do other than the fact that they get their place in heaven when they receive. So would you be willing to do that? I believe you will. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray for these that are seated here today. I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus to lead them, guide them, and direct them to those that they can be most effective. Lord, help us. Help us not to get within our own selves, our own world, and, and, and not look out and touch those around us. Lord, there may be some here that needs to go on a mission trip, or, or maybe there's some here, Father God, that needs to go to, uh, to, to a support group of some kind that, to where they talk on more serious matters. Lord, there may be somebody here that needs to talk to somebody one-on-one -on -one or call somebody up that they haven't talked to in a long time. Maybe there's some here today that need to go ask for forgiveness, what we heard last week, and then move from that point forward. Whatever the case may be, Almighty God, I ask you to give them direction, give them guidance. Let them see what happens. When we extend ourselves, even in our worst of times, Lord, we can come to you. And in our worst of times, we can reach out to others and see you make our times better, even as we make the times of others better. We praise you for that. We thank you for it. Give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.